Good morning, everybody. We're thankful for your presence today. We hope that you uh, will stay with us and walk to the new fellowship hall after we dismiss here in a little bit and uh, enjoy a fellowship meal with us. Let us uh, have the pleasure of sitting with you and, and hanging out with you and talking with you and fellowshipping with you, which is why we call it a fellowship meal. Uh, so please stay. Uh, you may not have uh, thought to bring anything, but uh, Lord willing, we have enough for everybody. Even if we all have to eat a little less, I would rather all eat a little less and we all be there uh, eating together than just a few of us picking out, uh, you know, I'll just leave it there. So don't do that. Let's all just eat a little bit. And let's all go back there together and eat together. Uh, we said this a couple of weeks ago when we first introduced, or the beginning of this month, we first introduced our theme for the year uh, and how we're going to take various hymns from our hymnal and consider them sermonically, just preach sermons about the, the songs. And we said we had basically two goals that we were going to accomplish. Um, sometimes we'd accomplish the one goal with one sermon and the other goal with a different kind of sermon. But we said sometimes we wanted the sermons to um, elaborate on and to help us understand better some of the songs that we sing. Because a lot of those hymns that we sing, especially some of the older ones, they have some old wording and some old phrasings and uh, contain some ideas that maybe we just don't consider biblically as much as we should. And because we sing them so often, we may be just kind of going through the motions and singing them and saying words we don't fully grasp. Um, I mean, if I could get a show of hands and who knows what, here I take my Ebenezer, if who actually knows what that means, things like that, um, that we may be sing, we sing, and we sing, and we think, what is Mr. Scrooge doing in my songbook? And we don't even appreciate what we're singing. So those kinds of sermons, we're going to stop and we're going to break down those songs and say, listen, when we're singing to each other, we're teaching each other, so let's understand what we're teaching and how it applies to Scripture. Other kinds of sermons are more about reinforcing uh, songs that we know. They're more about uh, hammering home the basic, simple ideas, fundamental ideas that are found in a lot of those uh, old-timey hymns and even new ones as well. This morning's sermon is one of those. And I say this not to apologize for it, but rather just to help you understand where we're coming from as your preachers in preaching these kinds of sermons. Because the temptation you may have at about, in about nine minutes, when I'm really in the middle of the sermon, is for you to think, I know all of this, I've heard all this before, I understand all this, I understand it biblically, I understand it you know, hymnally, I, I don't need to spend my 25-minute sermon time hearing things that I already know. Okay, fine. I get it. I know you already know it. What I want you to appreciate is that it is important in learning to remember, remind, and recollect things that we already know, to reinforce those things. Because the danger is that we sing a song like Heaven Came Down, whose ideas are simple, whose message is understandable and fundamental and so well known that you probably understood every word of that song, I mean by its meaning spiritually, five seconds after you first ever heard it and you've never had any questions about it since. But because of that, it may be so ingrained in your mind, you may sing the words so frequently that they have lost their meaning. And since this is a song about the beauty of salvation, and the wondrous glory that is our sanctification in Jesus Christ. The danger, therefore, is that we may come to take for granted our salvation and lose the appreciation for our sanctification in Jesus Christ. 2,000 or so years ago, Jesus came 
from heaven to earth. Heaven came down. And the song jumps straight to, and glory filled my soul. But in the middle of that, a man died on a cross and shed his blood so that you and I could have all of our past misdeeds taken away. We must never take that for granted. We must never let that be so familiar that when the song that is specifically designed for us to appreciate those facts is sung, that we just muddle through them because we've heard that song a thousand times. And we don't stop to take the two and a half minutes to be thankful and to teach each other and remind each other while we sing it. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this wonderful? Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And so with all that said this morning, let's consider the power behind the simple message contained in the hymn, Heaven Came Down. Heaven came down and three things happened. First of all, our Savior made us whole. Second of all, our sins were washed away. And third, our night was turned to day. Fundamental, basic, simple, needful things to be reminded of. First of all, heaven came down and my Savior made me whole because once upon a time before I had Jesus I was lacking something every single person who does not have Jesus Christ is lacking something whether that person is a lost person who has never known Jesus Christ or a saved person who has gone away from Jesus Christ they are either a person who has a hole that is yet to be filled or has had that hole filled and has thrown away the filling and is now once again lacking something. Everybody who does not have Jesus Christ is missing an important integral piece of their life. Now that person who is missing that something may not even know that they're missing that something. They may know and they don't care. They may care and they may not know how. But in one way or another, whatever position you find yourself in, if you don't have Jesus Christ as an integral part of your life, you are lacking something. It is the Savior that makes you whole. But I can promise you, before you find the Savior, if you're like most people, you will try to fill that hole with everything else. You will try to plug that hole with worldly possessions, with worldly pleasures, with worldly relationships. You will try and you will fail to feel satisfied. Now, you may have short-term satisfaction. You may have short-term appreciation. You may have short-term um, feeling of contentment and, and, and satisfaction. But it will not last. It will always fade because what you have that you're trying to fill that hole with is temporary, is temporal. And what the Savior offers is something eternal, something long-lasting. The Savior makes you whole because the Savior Himself is whole. For that, go to Colossians chapter 2 and look at verses 9 and 10. And listen, first of all, to what Paul says about Jesus and how he describes Jesus as being the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For in Him, he says, Paul does, speaking of Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. That's the Father, Son, and Spirit. Dwells the fullness of all of who God is in Jesus bodily. That doesn't mean that Jesus is the Father. He's not. He's the Son. It doesn't mean that Jesus is the Spirit. He's not. He's inspired by the Spirit, or He was when He was here. It just means that Jesus is not lacking something divine. He's not half God and half man. He is all man, and He is all God. In him dwells all of what it is to be God as much as all of what it means to be man. And then Paul says, and here's where it gets most remarkable, 
and you are complete in him. Now take this idea that we started with, which is without Jesus, I'm lacking something. And Jesus plugs that hole, fills that gap, completes this incomplete person, fine. But in the way that he does it is he takes me who has sinned. He takes me who has done wrong. And in my doing wrong, I have created this chasm between me and God. I've created this gap that I can no longer bridge. I cannot reach across that aisle. I cannot get over there to where God is. I've separated myself from God. And now how do I fill in that gap between me and God? How do I fill in that missing piece? I do so through Christ. But who is Christ in this context? But the fullness of God bodily. He in in his own self is all of God. And so when I come into Christ, I am complete in him who is all of God. So there's not a little bit of me that is no longer lacking in my relationship with God. It is completely encompassed by Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't anymore have to say, I can't appreciate this part of God, or I can't have this aspect of God. I cannot uh, have the benefits of this part of God, because I am in Jesus, and in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. My relationship with God is 100% now. It is completely made whole. A phrase which we use often to reflect on something that once was not made whole. You don't make something whole unless it wasn't once whole. My Savior made me whole because I once upon a time was fine. And then I sinned and I fractured myself. I broke myself. I lost something. A missing piece. My relationship with God. Ruined because of my sin. But now I'm back in Christ. And in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So through Christ, that missing piece is completely made whole again. But how did that happen? I mean, I know how, Jesus, but what was the procedure? What were the parameters? What, did, what, what was I supposed to do? How did I, who made the mistake of sinning, how did I come back? Just keep reading. If you're in 9 and 10, just read 11 and 12. In whom, in Jesus, you are circumcised with a circumcision that is made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. How did I do that? How, what is this spiritual surgical operation A circumcision made without hands. What is this spiritual operation? How was it done? It was done when you were buried with him in baptism. Wherein, after you were buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through the faith and the operation of God. What is this spiritual surgical procedure? It takes place when you are baptized, but it takes place through the operation of God. And even though it is a spiritual operation and therefore it leaves no spiritual scar tissue for you to, or physical scar tissue for you to physically say, look, I had my surgery right here. You can see the scar. No, it's a spiritual operation. So how do I know it took place? I have faith in the operation of God who raised Jesus from the dead. I was once lacking something. Or you could even say I once had a part of me that was cut away and replaced with a cancerous tumor. And that cancerous tumor was eating me alive and killing me. And my Savior went in there with the spiritual scalpel and he cut away that sin. And so now I have this big chunk that's taken out of me and he fills in that gap with himself. Not a cancer which kills me, but a life-giving power that gives me spiritual hope once again. How do I know that whole operation happened? I have faith because I was baptized that God operated on me. My Savior made me whole. Your Savior made you whole. Appreciate that. Second point, when you became a Christian, when you gave your life to Christ and he filled in that gap, what happened as a result? The consequence, your sins were washed away. By all means, if you want, please don't shout it out. Think for yourself, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Or even better, 
what's the worst thing someone has done to you? Because all of us have sinned against, to, against God. We have committed our crimes against the Father. We did our misdeeds to Him, spat in His face, turned against His forgiveness, mocked His holy name, insulted His precious face over and over and over. And to us, He provided the avenue of forgiveness so that He would take all those crimes that we committed, each one of which which is put on the ledger, put on the record book, so that he, as the judge, could, if he wanted, hold us accountable for every single one and end with our condemnation forevermore. Instead, has said, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. Through what avenue are my past misdeeds wiped clean? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, how is that done? Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Again, fundamental text, one you're probably all very familiar with. But the context is... Paul having to answer this previous question with a rhetorical question of his own here. And the previous question is, can we continue sinning? Can I continue getting the cancer put in my body to eat me alive? To fill the hole with, my more, with more and more cancer? And Paul says, no, you can't do that. You can't continue sinning and expect to receive more grace. Don't you know that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. And just like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you also are raised to walk in newness of life. You have witnessed, spiritually speaking, Jesus dying, being buried, and rising. Why? For you. He didn't die for his own sins. He wasn't buried for his own crimes. He wasn't resurrected because God gave him a second chance. He was killed for your sins and mine. He was buried for your crimes and mine. He was resurrected for your second chance and mine. And when you are baptized... You take advantage of that second chance that God has made for you. Now, I know you're looking at that text and you're thinking, I don't see the phrase, my sins were washed away, anywhere in there. So how do you connect my being baptized with my sins being washed away? Well, I do that with Acts twenty-two sixteen, where Paul, at the time, the persecutor, criminal, murderer, marked his ledger up with sin and worthy of condemnation. Paul is now at this point on his knees begging desperate for salvation and paul is told arise and be baptized and wash away your sins wipe the ledger clean remove all your past misdeeds start over be saved now i know you're looking at that and you're thinking well i don't see the blood of jesus christ in that okay fine you find that in romans uh, revelation chapter 7 verse 14 where the angel tells john that these people these martyred christians are the ones who have had their robes washed white, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Wash your sins in the blood of the Lamb when you are baptized. And when you do, you can sing and you can mean it when you sing it. My sins are washed away. I've been made new. All my past is gone and forgotten. I can start over. Last point, and then we're done. Oh, wait, I forgot. I have one more point. John 19, 34. Where did that blood come from? From the side of our Savior who as he was nailing and dying on the cross for you, a soldier pierced his side, and forthwith came his blood. In other words, it was by his death that he paid for your washing to be done. Now, next point. You are saved. Appreciate that. When you hear the song, don't just power through it, don't just muddle through it, don't just think about a thousand other things because you can sing it robotically and you know it by heart. No, appreciate the fact that your Savior made you whole. Appreciate the fact 
that your sins were washed away and appreciate the life that you now have in Jesus Christ because your night has been turned to day. Look at the reading that we just had a minute ago, John 12, 46. I want you to, to follow this kind of simple, one leads to the next train of thought here. Okay, it starts with the whole world being in darkness, which is what Jesus acknowledges in John 12, 46. This is why he came. He tells you, I am come as a light so that people who are in darkness don't have to stay in darkness anymore, that you don't have to abide in darkness anymore. Now, if he is telling me I don't have to abide in darkness, that means he recognizes I am presently, before he came, abiding in darkness. This world is evil, but it's a very special kind of darkness because this is a darkness that you can see, whereas typically the whole idea of darkness is you can't see. But this kind of darkness is deception. This kind of darkness is the trickery of the devil where you see this world all around you and it is hustling and bustling and it is bright and vibrant and it seems so alive and you don't realize that it is hiding beneath the veneer death and decay and misery. This world is dark. It's just there's a really good liar out there who's making it seem very bright and vibrant. It's only when you fall into it and you're lost in it that you realize how deep the rabbit hole goes. So Jesus can see it from his heavily vantage point. And he says, I'm come to be a light. And when he came, like imagine we have these, I don't know if you call that frosted, we have these half windows. If we turned all those lights off, we blocked all these windows, we killed all these lights, and it was pitch black in here. And I just stood on the stage and I just flicked one little light like I was at a Pantera concert or something. I just flicked one little light, okay? Now, you could not see th- from this one little light anything over here. You, you couldn't see that. But you could see this one light. And by seeing where this one light was, you could not see the darkness where there was once no light. Like the space, the little one-inch space above my imaginary lighter is dark. And then I flick that light on and now there's no darkness there, okay? That's how light works, Now imagine a spiritual kind of darkness where you can see everything around you. You can see all the pleasures and all the appeals of sin. And then here comes Christ. And you don't even realize just how dark this world has been until this pure and holy light starts shining. Except it's not just a little flicker. It is this huge beaming light, an inviting light calling you over to him. I am come so that you who are in darkness can see a better way, the light. Okay, now who is that light? But Jesus himself as heaven come down, John 1, 5. The light of Jesus shines in this dark world. So we start in darkness. Christ comes and the light shines in this darkness. And the darkness, the King James says, comprehends it not. That word comprehend is a bad translation. In the Greek, it's kata lambano. Kata means down, lambano means to hold. Here is the light of Christ in this dark world, and the darkness hates the light because the light automatically extinguishes the darkness. So what do you do with something you hate? You try to tear it down. You try to hold it down. You try to keep it back. The darkness cannot hold down the light of Jesus Christ. We're in darkness. He came because we were in darkness. And then he died, and what happened while he was dying? Matthew 27, 45. But darkness covered the whole world. At least, at least the, the whole area around the crucifixion. Darkness covered all of the space around the place of his sacrifice for us. A visual which to the devil no doubt looked like victory. Which to the devil, your enemy, whether you realize it or not, watched the crucifixion of Jesus and thought, ha, I win. Look, my darkness is all over the earth again. My darkness is here. 
where there should be the light of Christ, the darkness has held it down. John says it couldn't, but I did it. I held down the darkness, except three days later, up from the grave, he arose. And a new morning dawned, a morning of salvation and hope. And where he is today, as he describes himself in Revelation twenty-two sixteen, is as the bright and morning star, shining evermore for you to see when you're in darkness. In your own personal hell, in your own personal darkness, in your own personal misery, you can see the light of Christ. He who came for you could not be held back, died and rose so that you who are in darkness could see his marvelous light. Your night, in other words, turned to day. 2,000 or so years ago, heaven came down and we put him on a cross. But he took our death, our murder of him, and he purchased the means for him to save us from the punishment for the crime of murdering him. Now you find me a greater sacrifice than that. That's our Savior. We get to sing about that. Let's appreciate that. Our Savior made us whole. Our sins are washed away. Our night turned to day. And if you are here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is what he offers you. You who are in darkness, he offers you light. You who are incomplete, he offers you fulfillment. You who are sin-stained, he offers you a fresh start. Will you come and be forgiven of him, by him, washed in his blood, if you are a child of God? You've been washed, and then you have taken that clean slate, and you have marked all over it again. Your sins can be washed all over again, if you'll just get back in the light. 1 John 1, 7. Can we help you do something, anything to help you get back on the right path? Let us know right now as we stand and sing.